Paper Girls, Encanto, and Brian Boru, High King of Ireland. This is Staying In. Can we please talk about the secret life of Peter Willington? I feel like if we do, it's less of a secret. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By definition, by talking about it, it ceases to be the secret life of Peter Willington. And he would lose all of his carefully cultivated mystique. I'm pretty sure the secret life will continue. You're right, Dan. It could be one of those things where the more I bring it to the surface, the more he burrows down and becomes exceptionally more secretive and is is it like the secret life of pets <laughs> a little bit yeah um uh, what, what, when you shut the door he, he shuts up yeah. rather than starts yeah. talking yeah yeah like the opposite and, of the toys in toy story yeah absolutely when just... i get left at home by myself i'm just rummaging through the bin <laughs> or lies um, perfectly still until someone, you know, it's he's pretty much the Schrodinger's cat of this podcast. Like, if no one's yeah. looking at Peter Willington, he just stands still and doesn't do anything until he's observable. He both exists and does not exist at the same time. Um, yeah, we could talk about my secret, uh, my secret life. What do? You, what would you like to know? I, I'll see whether or not I can reveal all, like Mystic Meg and the lottery numbers. There's two things I want to address. One of them more pertinent and one of them more pertinent than the other and the other one I really want to dig down inside of so Chris came round my house the other day and we played what do we do we play ginger was that when we played ginger by WizKids? yeah we played ginger and we played uh dc villain dc villains video game oh yeah dc lego villains which is a pretty I mean it gets good reviews but I me and Chris were it's like spent most of the time not really understanding what on earth is going on like there was Yeah I mean that, I mean famously that is a game made for 9 year olds. <laughs> I know I know that's what I mean and we were like we have no you know there must be so much like assumed knowledge for how these games operate because we were just like we have no idea no idea what we're doing. It was good fun though. We played it for a couple of hours and then I deleted it. But <laughs> but but then as I want to do, I thought, you know, while Chris was there, let's browse around other people's profiles of people that I know on on um, online and judge them based on the time they spent playing games. So is this on and, the PlayStation? So this is on PlayStation. So right. now on the PS5, you can now see the hours that you've been playing games for, which apparently it's been doing since the ps4 but only now they're they're kind of giving you access to that kind of um information i mean a pretty standard thing across most things including the switch and for whatever reason only now is the ps is the playstation powerful enough to to show you the time that you spend playing games so you're scouring through scouring through and then it was the the first big shock was Oh, Dan spent 50 plus hours playing Deathloop. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, my God. Do you know what he said, Dan? He said, oh, he, he said, um, I bet it was just, he, he just left it pause because, you know, other stuff happened. That's what he assumed. You are want to just leave a game running and then just come back to it a few few hours or days later. But no. Rest is... mode doesn't keep the time going though. How do you know? Because it doesn't. All I right. Think right. <laughs> I think he's right. I mean, I mean, I could try and go into detail, but we may be here a while. But that was the com- that was the confidence of a man who said, actually, if it did log those hours, they would be significantly greater than what <laughs> yeah. is on the screen. And then I was scrolling through, scrolling through, and I was like, Pete's 
Pete's playing Resident Evil 6. And I was like, he's never spoken of this before. And then Chris went, oh, yeah, he does that with his mate Danny. And then like a scorned lover, I was like, hang on, who is this? Who's Danny? Danny? (laughs) I've never heard of this Danny before. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) Yep. I am not the only Dan in your life. Is that what you're? Is that what you're revealing it's to me true. right now? You are the only Dan. You are the only Dan in my life. He is the only Danny in my life. I mean, that's that's a tiny, tiny caveat. That helps yeah, you so sleep at night. Pete can have a friend called Samuel and another friend called Chris, spelt differently, and then that's that's fine. Well, I mean, you know the story. I had to. I did have to change the spelling of my name because Pete already had a friend spelled that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, 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 I yeah. I, I, otherwise, you just. It's too difficult to kind of keep track of. It's one in, one out, basically. Um, honestly, honestly, Pete, <laughs> he, he was talking as if like I, he just found out there was a fifth member of the podcast team that he wasn't aware of. That's <laughs> really <laughs> sweet. That's really sweet, Sam. So what else do you want to know about my PlayStation collection? Is there anything else in there that you were... There is, and this is the most pertinent point, because mm-hmm. I feel like whereas it's not out of the realms of possibility that I can see you playing Resident Evil 6 with another man. It is completely out of the realms of possibility that the Peter Willington that I know or love, that I've known for over a decade, would spend nine hours of their Mm. pressure time playing Mm. the PlayStation title Pure Pool. Pure Pool. (laughs) And, And, of course, its expansion... Uh, Super Snooker or whatever it was that they uh, that's included with that. Yeah, because how can you get even more pure than pure pool? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, nine it's... nine hours playing yeah. a pool game and no, on the PlayStation. Yes. To be clear, it's a pool game, not a game of pool. I didn't spend nine hours like pushing the same balls around on the base, right? Like just so... with the chalk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make sure it's really chalked. So, so it's uh, we talk about it sometimes. It, for me, it's a podcast game. It's okay. uh It's a. I spend so I'll, there is a weirdly there's sort of a story mode, <laughs> sort of. And it, I'll be honest, it's it's quite lightweight. Is it is it um, from the balls perspective? I was gonna say, is it is it, <laughs> is it reds versus yellows? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Smash cut. The, the 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 black is on the way to the pocket. How did I get here? Well. I'll tell you. So Sam, how's, how's the swanky new tablet? The swanky new tablet. Um, it is swanky. It's really good. It's really good. Um, it's a big. It's a big boy. It, it is quite a big. Fourteen? In, no, 12, 12 inches. It is. Ooh. It's a lovely big twelve-inch um, Samsung Footlong. tablet. So it's it's. Um, a delight to have so obviously the first thing I did was um, downloaded uh, Magic the Gathering Arena good lad and then Pokemon uh, the TCG (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) but the other thing that has been um, wonderful to do on the tablet has actually been to read comics which is something that I've been really wanting to get back into for a long time but either because of you know, the pandemic business or because of the general cost and difficulty of getting comics physically. Uh, I've been wanting to sort of shift into more like digital realms. So getting a nice tablet to read comics off of has been has been a delight, especially one that's really big because it really helps 
um, the images on screen. I don't really need to use the the reading view. The oh, I forgot what it's called, but um, uh, yeah, Amazon, uh, guided guided view. Guided view. Yeah, Amazon and Comixology yeah. have have like it's this guided rubbish. guided view. Yeah, it never never really gives you the full give the full picture. Like I love like one of the best things about comics is that whole full page experience. Yeah, so it's it's been it's been great to kind of get back into them that way. And then Chris pops along and goes, do you know you can read loads of comics for free if you've got Prime? And I was like, no, I don't. Thanks really? very much, Chris. So like all of Scott Snyder's new... So Scott Snyder's done a massive like deal with Comixology. So all of his new um, books you can read for free if you've got Prime. You can only get like seven of them, I think, and then you have to like bounce one back and then That's download a, yeah, another one. It's like a one. library. So it's like a library. Um, so all of Scott Snyder's new stuff, like Clear, Night of the Ghoul, and We Have, or We Are Demons. We, ha- we Have Demons. We Have Demons. They're all Polo. free. Um, you can just download them. Also, his first volume of American Vampires is also free on Prime. And you can just download them and read them and then send them back. And I think there's also some other Comixology originals like um, Jock and Jeff Lemire have... Um, yeah, Snow Angels. Released. So I, I also read... So I have a... I have a um... Uh, Fire HD 10, which I think is the mm-hmm. Amazon tablet, cheap tablets, basically. Um, and uh, I got that basically just for reading comic books, although I played bits and pieces on it as well. And um, again, perfect size for comics, really large, really lovely to kind of hold. And the, the thing that kind of, it, I, I got back into reading comic books and manga and stuff like that on, on that tablet as well, because yeah. suddenly, like I wanted to, Let's say, for example, I wanted to read. Um, let's say, say you wanted to read something like uh, Saga, right? As, a, as an omnibus edition. If you buy Absolutely. the omnibus edition, that thing is an inch and a half thick, right? I've got per three. volume, yeah. and there's mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. Like they and they are massive, right? So they're yeah. actually slightly uncomfortable to read. Like you can't really sit, lay back, and relax because you just drop the pl- thing on you and knock yourself out for two hours. Um, but the the other thing is. And this is the thing that I kind of, I realized, was that we are beyond now pretty much the realm of comic books having a value beyond the material, but beyond the um, the actual stories themselves, right? Like we're way beyond the golden age, silver age of comics where, oh, you've got a Superman number one, that's worth loads of money. It, it, or like that's got a load of prestige behind it. It's like, nah, they're just so mass market now. Most of, comic, most of the comics are just so mass market now that like there is no value there. But more than that, they take up a huge amount of space. And, and because there's then no resale value, I'm just kind of like, well, rather than spending... 25 30 quid on a volume i could spend 25 30 quid on all three volumes digitally in a sale sure and the space it takes up is the you know centimeter like you know three quarters of a centimeter width of my tablet do you know what i mean it's and and it just makes it so much more convenient and it and and because of that i'm reading more and it's interesting you mentioned saga because uh i wanted to talk about um paper girls by brian k vaughan uh, you bought me the second volume of this for my birthday, actually. We did. And um, I I picked that up in a comic book shop, the first volume. It was actually when I was in Bristol with you, Pete. I was um, there as well. Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was that summer where we went and, and Pete nearly fell down the stairs. And um, and I literally judged this. I judged this comic book by its cover. 
um, this graphic mm-hmm. novel because the cover is just sublime. Um, this comes from the artist Cliff Xiang, who I first became aware of with the new 52 Wonder Woman. Just gorgeous colours, really just pops and just a joy to turn every page and a visual treat for the eyes. And if you pair that with the wonderfully profound and magnetic writing of Brian K. Vaughan, Mm-hmm. who I know you've waxed lyrical about a lot at them from the pod previously, you get Paper Girls, uh, which, oh, how do you describe Paper Girls? Well, it's set in 1988, and it's for Paper Girls. And when I say Paper Girls, girls who deliver papers, not like, right. yeah. Right. Um, yeah, not Aragami. Erin. Yeah. yeah, not like that thing that you do in like, um, in like infant school where you'd cut out a single piece of paper and then unfold it, and then you have all the little <laughs> things holding hands. But it, it does that thing that Saga does. Almost an, it, it's almost an inversion of Saga, I would say, where Saga tells an incredibly universal, almost human story set amidst this bonkers backdrop. Paper Girls, you've almost got an inversion of that. It starts off with an extremely human story that becomes much, much more bonkers. But what, what causes you not to become completely lost and decoupled from that sense of being grounded is the human story at centre, which is the relationship between these four girls, mm-hmm. um, Erin, Mackenzie, KJ, and Tiffany. And it's the night after Halloween in a, in Cleveland, Ohio. And basically, while they're delivering their papers, there's an invasion, an alien invasion, uh, well, a temporal alien invasion. You've got this a- invasion from the future. And you just begin this kind of, it almost feels like a real-time roller coaster ride of them trying to understand and then fix what this is, this problem is. And it's got those kind of Brian K. Vaughan things of characters being confronted with seemingly impossible, um, unpredictable um, situations. So every time you turn the page, you go, I don't know where this is going. What? Now you've introduced this. That... For some writers, if I'd read that, I'd be really thinking, okay, now they're just being silly. But the way, the way that Vaughan writes, that I really, really love, is that you're just as clueless as the characters are. Um, it's not like the characters just kind of get it and move on. You're like, well, oh, hang on, hang on, I need footnotes here. If anything, you're just a, a couple of moments ahead of the characters. Um, it's a really interesting sensation of being, ironically, given this, a lot of the, the ideas this, this, this story grapples with is around time and what we do with that time and whether actually we should um, focus on, you know, progression through the future or if we could go back in time and change things for the better, should we do that? It's a really, really interesting um, narrative it has, you know, it's completed its run. I believe it started in 2016. And I think it went on for about three years. And I think there's like six volumes in total, I think. And I've just got the first two. I've got the first two, but that's going to be something I'm just going to look forward to getting getting to my, getting off for myself every so often as a little treat. But mm-hmm. just a stunning book, really. Yeah, um, it is. I lent Sam the first volume of this. And I know you're a big K. Vaughan fan, as is, well, I think everyone in this room actually is. Like Brian K. Absolutely, Vaughan I don't think I've ever read. I I don't think I've ever read anything by Vaughan. Oh really? You've never read Why the Last Map? Nope. You've, you've got Saga on your bookcase. You've never been curious. That's Alex's. Yeah. No. Oh, no, I know, but you've not been curious to <laughs> read it. Not my copy. You don't touch each other's books. Not my copy, so I will, well, I will not be touching. Um, no, it just um, I just never got around to it. I've just had other. No, bits fair of it looks looks really good. Just it's never quite grabbed me. 
to to want to kind of explore it. But I know how quality uh, Vaughan's writing actually is, and and I guess I get the feeling when you talk about this roller coaster thing, I I feel like Vaughan's probably part of it is like the trust in that writer of like Completely. this will work out. They know where this is going. Like it's not a case of like and now this because like random thing. It's like you know how this is going to wrap up. There is a part of that to um, to Paper Girls and which is what I found really, really interesting. And it's kind of like one of those moments of, um, it's kind of one of those moments of self-realization. You know, when you're, when you're watching a piece of media or you're, or you're reading something or playing something or whatever, and um, you have one of those realizations where you, you're kind of surprised by it or you kind of you come across something that's unexpected and it gives you a bit of a moment of um self-evaluation well it does for me yeah. anyway where it's just like how come that surprised me how come how how did he actually pull off that trick like there's a there's a moment at the end of paper girls volume one which is so obvious it's going to happen like it's so telegraphed like you can you can spot it a mile off but i couldn't i could not wait to get to it I could not wait to see this play out how I already knew it was going to play out. Now, usually I'd, you know, roll my eyes and go, oh, yeah, it was obvious. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. But the writing and the and the um, the art style is so compelling. And the, and the characters, it must be it must be because of the characters. The characters are so believable and the, and the world around them, despite as Chris was saying, despite being this like unfurling, like universe stretching event is so interesting that I just wanted to see those characters in that situation. Um, so uh, rather than, so rather than being critical about the situation itself, I was, you know, just excited about seeing who, how these characters would react in this very sort of like cliched, predictable ending and, and that's like a real skill for you know writer and artist feels, to pull off it feels like there's um it feels like there is a often you get two types of narrative writer the narrative mm -hmm. writer that revels in the twist you never saw that coming did you and you're waiting yeah. for the reveal and that's the exciting part but actually i think it's a harder thing because to surprise somebody, you can just kind of go out of nowhere, right? You can just do, you can just kind of turn on a diamond. Oh, okay, fine. I didn't see that coming, but whatever. Uh, what's his name? M. Night Shalaman likes to do yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, what did that? That ch the chap who did Sixth Sense. The that you're waiting for the reveal. Oh, and there's kind of a pleasure in that. But I think that actually the a bigger challenge is to is to know where you start and know where you end and enjoy the ride so much that it doesn't actually matter that you know where you're going. The, the journey itself is compelling. Well, can I share something else secret and private and lovely with you about my year so far? Um, <laughs> secret, private and lovely. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. We said what they were going to be and, and, and I said and I, I I put a commitment in that I would do them um, and I've yeah, I mean, you, I mean you weren't committed enough to actually turn up for that specific episode but nah, I just thought I'd, well I was I was workshopping the you um, literally phoned those resolutions. in resolutions yeah 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 
Um, <laughs> I have got my copper medal for drive through RPG for my cat cock collection RPG thingy, my Bob. Oh, what, wow. what did you have to do to get that? What, now, what? 50 sales. A total of 50 people have to part with at least one dollar twenty, I think it is. I think there's a minimum threshold, so it can't be like six, like uh, can't be like six pence or whatever it is for. for I think I paid more than that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you didn't get in the bundle, so um, <laughs> uh, it, it got added to a bundle basically. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I've I've sold more than fifty copies now. Which wow! Is so congratulations, that's amazing. But that's that is my New Year's resolution. That one done. Well, surely that one should be one that kind of rolls on. So you've hit that target so early. Surely, you're that you shouldn't just end it here. It should now that's such a go dad thing to say, Dan. Taking, yeah, I know, right? Silver I'm or gold. I'm taking it as a win, Dan. I'm taking it as a win, Dan. <laughs> that, that, like I'm happy if it gets silver. That's brilliant. Um, so now all I've got to do is buy a house, <laughs> which is arguably the easier of the two. Easy. No. And then some third thing that I talked about, <laughs> uh, which I can't remember what it is now. Paint all uh, your miniatures. No, no, miniatures. no. I, one was get fit, Pete. Oh, and he's oh, get fit, yeah. Yeah, so, get fit. Well, we've got your mate yeah. Danny now to help you out with that, haven't you? So. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. This is, I'm not Danny can do everything. Down, am I? Do you want me to send you some nice roses and a box of chocolates? Yeah. And also, fun thing, uh, and I haven't told you folks this, um, they're going to do a print version. What? <laughs> I thought you were going to yeah, say, yeah, I yeah. genuinely, as you start to sound sentence, like, they're turning it into a film. <laughs> <laughs> it's been optioned um, by yeah, Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, Apple uh, they're, TV they're, have uh, bought it. There's a, there's a, um, there's a, there's going to be a physical print run. Uh, uh, well, sorry. Uh, it'll be print on demand uh, on Drive Through RPG. So you'll be able to buy a physical copy of it at some point. That's fantastic. Um, Danny's writing a foreword, isn't he, to the new edition? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I renamed the character to Danny. Danny, I love you. The game is on. So I have done a New Year's resolution, and I'm looking at everybody else's and thinking, come on. Yeah, but m- mine's ongoing through. Mine was month. I mean, mine got cut off the podcast for two reasons. Well, main just one reason was that we never talked about it. <laughs> so yeah. it was never it was mentioned. there, and I just thought it. Was, I just didn't think it was interesting enough to make the edit. <laughs> we didn't actually <laughs> speak about it. <laughs> well, mine's ongoing month by month, so it's listen to a, uh, an album and an an album of an artist that I've never heard before every month. So I've already done January's one. I listened to Dave. We're all alone in this together, which is a really good grime album. Um, Very nice. Dave, you might be familiar with. He performed on the Brits last year, so so I'm already one twelfth um, or a sixth of the way to completing that particular well done. Um, task. Well done. And the other one was I'm finally going to at least prototype the board game that I've been uh, wanting to make for ages. That's never quite got out of the Google Notes stage. So you got um, you got eleven yeah. months left, haven't you? Now I've got eleven months left to do that to start it. <laughs> At least I read my first Mr. James short story the other day. Which one? So I got the collected editions for Christmas, which some may say is an unusual gift to open uh, in front of your family at Christmas, but. You know, Christmas is the perfect time for ghost stories, so it's, uh, I yes. thought it was very apt. Um, so, which um, which of the which of the short stories did you read? 
so I immediately text you and Chris, knowing that you are fans of Mr. James, um, uh, to to see which where where should I start? Because I could either start story one and you know go through them, but I thought let's have a bit of a you know a let's sort of have a bit of a connoisseur's choice of where to start with with these with these stories. So you sent me a load through, and the one that sounded the most appealing was whistle, whistle, and I'll whistle, and I'll be there. Whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. Okay, whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. It's clearly made an impression on you. (laughs) Well, it's whistle, and I'll be there. Now, 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 Chris. Just so I'm just so I'm remembering, because it was about a year ago I listened to it. This is the one with the sheet. Is that right? It is, it is the, the one with the, sheet. That's, the sheet. That's all we need to know about the sheet. Cool. One of the criticisms I've heard of Mr. James's stuff is that they're unsatisfying, because the conclusion, and I think it's a, a silly reading of it, but the, there's rarely a, a significant payoff or conclusion in that same way. And they vanquish no, the beast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no, we vanquish the beast. There's no, and we jump from an exploding car. There's no, like, there is no mad, satisfying payoff in that same way. Most of the, I always like to think of uh, M.R. James stories as kind of just the camera kind of panning out uh, mm. from, from, the, from, the, from the scene. And so much of it is just left unsaid. There's little hints throughout a bunch of different stories of his of like, okay maybe it's something to do with this maybe it's you know and 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 quite often there's the idea of oh maybe they um maybe there's a there's a really fantastic story uh with a uh i can't remember the name of the story chris will probably know um essentially there's a a picture of a person or a creature it's it's the mezzo tint that's it the mezzo tint and and it isn't explained how that works how how the thing with the picture works but you know that the picture is something to do with it and I'm, again i don't want to go into it too much because it is genuinely unsettling but there is no great like and that's how it was solved um and and, and this is the same thing with um the, a, a very similar idea here but kind of a, a slightly different tact is um was is essentially the works of lovecraft in that his idea was that you actually could understand more about the universe, but the more one of the, the famous phrases that he has is one of the great um, one of the great uh, reliefs in the world is um, the inability of the human mind to correlate the contents of the universe. The idea mm-hmm. basically being that the more we find out, the more we realize how terrifying and tiny we are. Right? Like that's kind Absolutely. of like like the opposite way of of what M. R. James is. Uh, kind of uh kind of resolves into and funnily enough i have been playing an rpg but it's <laughs> I not i mean that's not funnily enough no no um, this and bumpiest segue thanks very much um <laughs> so, so um, i like the fact that it was actually quite an organic segue until the point where pete had to introduce it and then it got really bumpy really I know, fast. it's good isn't it it's, I'm, I'm... sam had elegantly weaved it into the conversation so you could pick up the baton and no one would have noticed and you went funny you should say that um i've been playing a tabletop rpg um and uh, it's not the one uh, that Lovecraft was vaguely uh, uh, theme, uh, sort of connected with. Uh, um, so this is uh, this is called Casting the Runes, um, and it is occult investigation in the world of M.R. James. 
And uh, I was given this by uh, a friend of mine, Tom. Uh, And uh, I have other friends (laughs) as well, just to be clear. Yeah. Uh, So so this is uh, based on a system called Gumshoe. So um, Gumshoe is a system that is entirely built around investigations. Okay. So Gumshoe asks the question, uh, if you're going to make a game about investigation, is it actually fun for an investigator to not be able to find a clue? So one of the, one of the criticisms of um, certain uh, uh, tabletop role-playing games from the late 1970s that will go unnamed that I've been writing about, um, the... One of the criticisms criticisms of that is you can always fail to find a clue, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say, for example, you are um, you're playing in a 1990s campaign or something like that, and you've got forensics, and you're an expert forensics person. You have a hundred out of a hundred points in your forensics skill. Um, if you get if you roll a d100 and you end up on 100 points, uh, you know you get that 100. That is essentially rolling snake eyes. You will always fail, and that fail could be on taking a very obvious fingerprint. Now, you as a forensics expert would never make that mistake, right? But that system allows you to make those mistakes if you're playing it rules as rules as written rather, as, rather than rules as intended. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a bit of a difference there. Um, the other side of it is that when you're doing an investigation-based game, and we've all run RPGs before where we've had moments where you've had to kind of uncover a bit of a mystery right to some degree um if you have a single point of failure in any adventure i.e the players have got to find this key they Mm -hmm. have to find it because behind the locked door is the MacGuffin. right if they don't find that key you can't move the story on right and investigation games always have these opportunities for there to be failure so if you end up with a story that there is this, you have to get this one piece of information and you don't, then your game basically stalls and you have a bunch of players who don't have any agency, don't know how to move on, and the GM just gets really frustrated. The idea with Gumshoe is that the... Uh, I'm looking at the, the, the stat sheet now. The idea with Gumshoe is basically as long as you have a single point of skill... Um, in a specific thing so for example uh, folklore or charm or evidence collection if you have at least one point you can put more than one point in you will always get the evidence you will always get the information there is no role there's nothing like that so if let's say for example i needed to get that fingerprint let's say oh i can see there's some dust i can see there's some fingerprints and i have one point in evidence collection the gm would not require a role for it you would just say mm-hmm. you take the fingerprint and that fingerprint comes out just fine now if you have two or three points in it you can spend some of that to say um and not only do you get it get it out of that on your pda that you put the scan into immediately uh, it uh, that fingerprint is in the database it's uh, uh barry grigsby and he lives here right <laughs> just like so, that just like that yeah no. so if you're if you're so if you're an, if you're more than an expert, essentially, what you're paying for is more information. You could put all of that stuff together. You could go back to the precinct and you could find out. You could run the numbers yourself and all that kind of thing and figure out who it is yourself. But the more spend, the more information you get. 
and that uh, that can apply to a whole bunch of different things uh, in, in basically the same vein you do still have things like health and uh, i think it's called stability which is basically sanity um, so are you rolling dice for for anything or is it literally just points based yes. and decision so, based so there are certain things that you will roll dice for so when you get into things like combat gumshoe mm-hmm. is like okay well you, you will have to roll dice ar- around those things because there's an element of chance basically what gumshoe is trying to do is remove the element of chance from things that actually you would probably know about or yeah, be able to enough. be able to do um now that's the gumshoe system casting the runes puts that into the world of mr james um and it's largely successful i would say I would say it, 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 it's it's pretty good. It's a good system for it because, as you'll find with all of your stories that you end up reading, it really is about antiquarians going and finding a weird thing and investigating. It's mostly about that. It isn't really about fist fighting, right? Um, <laughs> whereas a lot of RPGs do come down to, we're going to have a fight. Really, this is about... Come here, you lad. Yeah. Um So, um, you know... It's very unlikely that you'd end up with an Edwardian, you know, antiquarian sort of like having to get into a fistfight. But you can. With a duvet. Um, with a duvet, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, you know, there are rules to cover those situations and also rules to cover situations in which maybe there's some other form of peril like, you know, uh, leaping a chasm or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Physical activities mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, but again, you'll never, you'll never miss a piece of information. And that's really, really good. Like all of the gumshoe system works really, really well. And indeed, the world of MR James, the world of MR James, there isn't a true mythos in that same way, but um, that kind of tone, those kinds of stories can mm. absolutely be told with this system. And it works really well. The book itself is really, really good in that way. Here's the core issue, folks. There's no payoff. So, so you, so you, uh. you get to the end of a one-shot adventure, and you've had a lovely time, and you've done really great role playing, and the adventure's brilliant, and uh, you found out some stuff about the mystery, but you'll never solve what the mystery actually is. You might find out a little bit about it, but the payoff. There's no like. So the one shot that I did, for example, um, the, the the ending of the game was basically, so we buried them. Like, like like it was basically like we found we found some bones, and then basically we be we gave them a proper burial. That was the ending. That was the payoff, right? Like, and and like that was the conclusion. And we definitely all came away from it with a feeling of like, ooh, like 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 everything that ran up to that was like, oh, this is really unsettling, and like what a horrible turn of events, and like what a horrible environment to be around, and lots of creepy moments of like characters that may or not may not be there and doppelgangers and lots of really good unsettling stuff that i really like in horror which is why i like this but Mm. the the slight issue is that for a lot of people who are looking for role-playing games what they want is power fantasy and this is like the absolute antithesis of that because it basically just ends with well you all got away and you found out some stuff and um uh, good that they got their funeral rights. Like there's but, no, but what, there's no. What's, what's stopping you as a as a DM or whatever? Just you know, putting that in. Give it. Put putting that. Yeah. Because putting that I think, sort of cherry on top of the cake. So. Because I think at that point you aren't telling an MR James story. 
it would be like telling a Terry Pratchett Discworld novel, but taking out all the humour. Like, it, it just doesn't... It, there is something about those M.R. James stories that have that kind of that ending that that leaves you slight, sometimes slightly confused, but certainly in a situation where, well, what was that all about? And that's part of the the the, un, the unknown is part of the fear. And I think if you were to end it with, you know, um, a, mo- a motorcycle gun f- battle, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> on the way out of you know firing electroplasm at ghosts through a graveyard you know like it, it at that point you're not playing an mr james story don't and cross that, the streams yeah, sure. yeah exactly don't 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 cross the streams but so there are other gumshoe systems that do do that stuff that do have a little bit more um uh a little bit more action to them so um there's one about like um it's basically like uh what's that one with Mulder and scully in it x-files the X-Files. It's like the X-Files meets, um, I don't know, like it, it's basically X-Files meets vampires um, with the gumshoe system. And you're kind of like investigating that stuff. And so that that does get a bit more action packed. But again, that's kind of the, I don't actually think that there is an appropriate system for an M.R. James story or, or, or a system that, or in the very least, I don't think that there's a system that would give you that kind of emotional impact that you might want from a from a campaign or a, from a, a thing. If that's what you're going in for, it. If your players know, yeah, you're not going to get some massive fight with a red dragon that's sat on top of a load of gold at the end. Um, if they're fine with that, then I think that it's a really, really good book. But yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I think you all kind of have to know what you're getting as you go in. I I uh, watched Encanto at the weekend. Mm, did you? I watched it today. I have to say, I have basically done nothing but watch or engage with Encanto for about a month. Uh, Why? Well, my four year, four and a half, four and a half year old boy doesn't watch films. Um, I've tried to get him to watch films. I grew up on Disney films. I've been trying to get him to watch Disney films since he was born and he has rejected it at every opportunity. However, Encanto has captured him. So for about a month, it's either we've been watching the film. If the film's not on, he's been watching YouTube clips. If they're not on, he's listening to it on Spotify. And if that's not on, he's walking around the house singing the songs to himself. It has been non-stop, and I love it <laughs> because great. he has, for the first time, watched a film the entire way through without kind of being like after like forty minutes. I want to watch something else. I'm like, no, uh, forty minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, but I mean, like he'll he'll watch his programs like that, like twenty minutes like, at a time, and they're fine. And then I've I've pushed it to about forty minutes before he's got tired but with Encanto um, he's he goes all the way through I I mean so so what is it about this film Dan that has struck a chord captured his yeah with your child I mean it's it has to be the music I mean he's he hasn't kind of watched the films like that but we do we did start listening to the music and like he's started to become a bit more engaged with music more recently he likes to kind of sing and he'll dance stuff like that we he started listening to um some of the music from mary poppins returns like he loved the triple like fantastic song um and i think with Hmm. encanto there's lots there's music throughout there's no kind of longer periods where there's not 
kind of a song or something. They they do come quite quick and they do kind of keep keep up that speed. Um, the 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 visuals of it are very vibrant and beautiful. Very, yeah. um, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, to kind of to Pete to, to explain to you, it's a it's a film um, set in Colombia about um, a family uh, who through some vague Disney magic. Um, have been given uh, gifts and has created this what is they refer to as their encanto which is uh, kind of Spanish for kind of charm or enchantment where their village is kind of hidden within the mountains Um, and it it creates this life for them and the the family have these gifts which they use to serve the village to kind of to support the village and each of them have different gifts whether it's they can control the weather or they can heal people or super strong or all different things like that or kind of hear they can hear from miles away and they all use these gifts for um helping people so every member of the family has one of these gifts except one who's kind of the the lead mirabel who's who's the um the lead person she was the first member of the family who didn't get a gift and so there is a fear that the magic that has created their home and they refer to it as their miracle may be dying and over the course of the story you kind of involved that more and what does it feel like to be an outsider in a group and it's very much looking at that and is she part of the family and where is her place in the family um and i'd say the visuals of it are just absolutely stunning um the animation is some of the best animation i think i've ever seen um Mm -hmm. both in terms of that visual spectacle of like the the surroundings of nature but for me just the movement like so much of the film involves dance and dance numbers and i was i was shocked so i did look at it because it's it looked to me like it had to be motion capture because it was so fluid some of the the dance moves uh, but it, it's not what they did was they had dancers choreograph a dance and then give footage of the dance to the anime animators who then just had to look at it and say okay we need to replicate this they had like they record like a dance number twice once with kind of the long flowing kind of skirts and once without them so the animators can see how the fabric moves as well as the kind of all that stuff and it just that was a huge takeaway for me that it just looks so so beautiful and then you factor Mm -hmm. in the music and it may come as no surprise to you that when the music is written by Lin-Manuel Miranda who wrote Hamilton and has written Moana who appeared in Mary Poppins Returns who directed Tick Tick Boom Boom someone who I am a unbelievably huge fan of um i just fell in love with the music and my little boy also has fallen in love with the music and he has as i say he will just sing i drive him to nursery every morning it's about five minutes away and i can just hear him just in the back of the car just muttering to himself an entire song (laughs) and if i try to join in it's the wrong time he stops me and says no no that's wrong that's not that that's not the right bit we're we're in a different part of the song and i just kind of have to let him sing it but it's just the the what's brilliant about the music and it's the same as i had the same feeling with hamilton and with different things that when i first heard the songs i liked them they were catchy but i didn't kind of get under the skin of them the more you listen to them the there is so much story baked into the words that you get so much out of it that the more you listen to it the more you hear it and a lot of it some of it is very very fast so you do have to tune your ear to be able to pick it all up but once you do that you hear everything and the what he's able to put through that music is is just absolutely wonderful it's when i first saw it it, like it was good it wasn't kind of one of my favorites um but the more i listen to it it really has kind of captured me and it does lovely things with its story it it subverts 
a lot of what you'd expect with a Disney film. Like I realized, like there is a there is a quintessential Disney storyline of a uh, person has a problem, person goes on a long journey to discover a discover something and then comes back to save the day that's a, you look at moana you look at lion king you look at little mermaid all these things they have the same basis of the story but it subverts that in a really interesting way and does things like there's there's no villain there's just i mean that's not spoiled. there's no villain and like that's weird when you actually think about it i'm like there is like every other disney hmm. film you have that kind of proper antagonist and it just doesn't have that are there antagonists at all? Yeah, there are. There are. Well, there there, there are like false heroes, I should say. Mm-hmm. And okay. as Dan alludes to, it's quite. It, it kind of, to some degree, it challenges that notion of a binary. It highlights, you know, there are villainesque people, but they're not completely fully vilified. And it just it mm-hmm. highlights, and I think what's quite progressive about it is it highlights actually that, you know, painting people as either heroes or villains is is very simplistic. That binary, and it's really quite refreshing to see that and i must have, i must admit that this this film did really challenge my expectations and many times i'm thinking oh gosh right okay i can see you're the typical princess here i can see where this is going oh you're about to get married great and then it would do things that would just make me go okay right cool we're getting we're getting somewhere that's interesting that's that's quite interesting mm-hmm. and i think i'm going to enjoy it more a second time round actually because it um one thing that really did surprise me was actually i got to the end of it and i was nearly moved to tears and really yeah, that's a weird one for me. I don't know what it was. I have had a cold over the last few days that's really made mm, me a bit vulnerable. Probably just a Genuinely, bit of a blockage. Yeah. A bit of a blockage. Exactly, Sam. Yes, I, although I have been experimenting with a sinus rinse. Have you ever had a sinus rinse? You, you told me this the other day, like asked you how you were. And you'd Game been, Yeah, we're all right. Changer. So Peter, I'm surprised, Pete, you've never done I'm surprised you're not the face of sinus rinse. <laughs> well, I, that feels like a backhanded hmm. compliment, if anything. It is. There are some really touching moments in this and the, one of the best compliments I can pay is one thing that always usually infuriates me in films is when characters will just suddenly break into song even if, even when I know mm. I'm watching a musical it really just still yeah. jars with me and it didn't so much in this and I think that for me is testament in terms of going back to what Dan was saying about how the, the, the music and the songs don't feel, even the genre of music, say, for example, doesn't feel um, doesn't feel disconnected from the narrative. It doesn't feel like there's two parallel yeah, things occurring. Yeah, I, I think here. that's a lot to do with, with LMM because obviously this is the first Disney film, I think, to have a completely um, uh, Latino cast and obviously um, Lini Manny is Puerto Rican um, or at least has Puerto Rican heritage. Uh, anyway so i think that whole um that whole thread that runs through it um really serves you know it's not a film set in colombia about colombian people with music written by two portly white guys which is usually what happens with disney stuff like say for example say for example something like mulan you know lion king um, lion king yeah so I think that gives it a set that that really affords it that sense of authenticity around the music and its place and its setting where it feels it feels almost like diegetic um until it comes out and actually you know come breaks into song i mean yeah i'd 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 i had a a real good time for it i i i i agree with dan that the do- that the songs don't completely worm their way in on a first of a first listen i 
think that the animation is definitely what kept me watching and interested and also the general pace of the film like i couldn't really find any point where it dragged or and it lacked mm. like so i'm not surprised that your boy makes it all the way through dan because it like there's literally not a moment to catch catch your breath like it's always going it's just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and never really never really stops which is also quite refreshing for a film to be literally 100 minutes in length mm. well just to, just to compare it with one that's very similar is Moana, where, I mean, he loves the um, Your Welcome song, which is the song uh, sung by Dwayne Johnson. He started watching that, and you do have some good songs, and he stuck, sticks with them, but you do then have quite a long period without something, without a song, and mm-hmm. he that's where he likes. So, as I say, with Encanto, it, it constantly picks you up and picks you up again. Just as it starts to drift, dip down, it, okay, we'll, we'll bring something else in. And sometimes it's a slightly different tone of song, which is a, re- and there's a reason for that, because it's showing perhaps the other side of a character, a side that perhaps they've hidden. So it's different to everything else. And it's it's all very kind of well thought out, each kind of individual point of when it's, when it's choosing to sing the song, when it's choosing to use the music, it's using it for a particular narrative reason as opposed to, in some cases, just mm-hmm. here's another song. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And at the risk of a few spoilers, um, I did, I think what I liked about it the most is, as Chris said, like, like that kind of inversion of things that we've already um, kind of seen. The fact that in a film like this made by Disney a few years ago, the central character would be going on a journey where they would have to learn to fit in. They would be outcast because exactly. they didn't get the gift. They would have to, they would have been shunned. They maybe would have been like really aggressive and misbehaved and therefore outcast of the family and it'll be their journey of how they learn to fit in with their family yeah. but it's it's a complete opposite to that like she teaches her family how like they shouldn't be defined by the gifts that they that they have and that people aren't just cast in one particular light or they're they're more than than you say the the stereotypical like um label that you might give to them which is like a a, a a huge sort of like broader message in terms of like families anyway which i really like appreciate and even and even in some sort of like like friendship groups where you have like for example like chris he's the brainy one and dan he's the long-haired one who loves films and there's pete he's the one on. you know who plays Maybe rpgs Cthulhu. and then there's danny um and <laughs> we don't talk about so, danny. like like that 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 happens like in families and in you know and in social groups as i said and like what i really appreciated about encanto was just like that establishing that like you should not be defined by that which you are that which you are labeled and and sort of um given by your family and your friends around you like there's there's more to you than that We played an Osprey game the other day. We did play an Osprey game. Yeah, so we played Brian Boru, High King of Ireland. And we're, there is a, a little unboxing on the Insta Chan, if you want to have a look. I mean, you should just go there now just to see our best unboxing video ever. Critics agree. Um <laughs> Uh, but you can see me unpacking Brian 
<laughs> on on our Instagram channel as well, if we really want to. Uh, but yeah, but this is this is a game from um, Pierre Sylvester with art, with incredible art um, by Deirdre de Barra. So is this um, Pierre Sylvester of um, that really good one about the English Civil War? Not the English Civil War. The King is Dead. The King is Dead. Yes, and also the Lost Expedition, which is a game that Ooh. I've always wanted to play but never really got around to. Cool. Um, uh, playing uh, but yeah the, the king is dead and the king is dead second edition was a bit of a darling last year i think this is a little little bit different it, I, I think it shares a little bit with the king is dead which you know as you said was kind of focused on sort of civil war amongst britain but where this is concerned with control and dominance over ireland specifically and so there are elements in this game which are sort of area controlled so who owns the most sort of um like locations in specific regions in Ireland get get points and and you know who can who can fend off viking attacks and do all that kind of stuff but there's also um elements of this game where you have to um <laughs> where you have to sort of court the church and you also have to literally court and get married in order to get some sort of um benefits and on top of that this whole game is framed um with the mechanic of trick taking so there's so there's a wonderfully interesting thing i think going on with brian baru in, in general where there are lots of recognizable elements from lots of different genres of game where it's you know the area control or the you know the war sort of aspects of some you know probably more serious and po-faced war games then there's the kind of the the civil sort of diplomacy of you know pleasing the church and doing and marrying the right the right person and into the right family on top of a very um traditional card mechanic such as trick taking which is something that i've not seen applied to this kind of genre before in terms of you know i would you classify as a war game chris doesn't feel like it it feels definitely feels more like a game of diplomacy and i don't mean that with capital d no 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 Um, no no because there is obviously a board game called diplomacy no 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 for me what i really really love about this game is that it scratches that itch that it feels like you're about to enter into something akin to say a war game um, but it isn't that. And likewise, what it isn't is just uh, kind of just analysis paralysis, the board game, where you're strategizing about mm-hmm. moving pieces like you're in the war room of some kind of castle. What I love about this game is the trick-taking element to it, which is genuinely something yeah. I was not expecting until you pointed it out to me as you were doing the teach. And, and that's when I realized that's why this game has become so popular. It's because of that mechanic embedded within this. Yeah, and, and it probably wasn't until we actually started playing it that I started to genuinely believe that it was going to be an actual great game to play because trick-taking games, other than The Crew and maybe Anansi, um, I've never really had much success of. So what's Mainly because... Game? So trick-taking, in an essence, is where... Um, if you imagine you've got a normal deck of cards and someone plays um, the two of hearts 
in out in front of them. They that that person who played the first card is doing what's called leading the trick. Um, so the next player has to then play, um, has to then match that suit, and all the players around the table have to match that suit, and whoever has the highest number will win the trick right okay. and by trick it's basically just like that round now there are other things on top of that where there's you know like there'll be a trump suit so there'll be a specific um suit of cards say like the clubs where you can play even if it's not the matching suit of the trick but you will win if it's the highest okay, of the I trump see. suit so and and because of that sort of central concept most i think what's put a lot of people off that i've introduced trick taking game in trick taking two is that you have to be very on it in terms of card counting you have to be very on it in terms of trying to guess and predict what other people have in their hand and you have to be very on it in trying to manipulate situations to force good cards out of people's hands right so there's almost like this triptych of very sort of high-end um game mechanisms to really get the most out of what trick take out of out of the possibilities of what trick taking is like all of that if you pull it off is really really satisfying to play against and with mm. but i feel like there is a huge barrier to entry um, especially competitive, which is why the crew really pulls it off because you're kind of learning all those skills together as a team, um, which is why I really love playing the crew but talking through situations because that's when you realise, why well, if you play this, that's going to force me to play that, which is going to force them to play that, and that shows me that I know that you've got that card in your hand, so for this round, I'm going to play this so you can play that, and that's really that's really interesting. But usually in trick-taking games, you do all that in silence competitively, and blah 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 blah. Anyway, back to back to Brian. So, in Brian, what you're doing is you will have one player who will lead tricks for that entire round, and they take a little disc and they say, "Right, I am going to try and conquer this region, and this is a red region. So that means that I have to play a red card from my hand, and that's the the trick." for this for this turn now everyone else around the table has a choice they either basically enter in competition with chris for example to try and put down the highest number of that color of that region or they will play another card from their hand of another different color and you're not punished for that this in brian baru in order to perform a certain action so if they put down a blue card they'll get some sort of benefit with the church if they put down a yellow card they'll get some sort of um, benefit um, moving up the marriage track for example and then play goes around the table until until it ends until everyone's played a card and then basically whoever's played the highest card as with all trick-taking games of that color of that region will then win the region what's interesting about buying baru and essentially how why the trick-taking game why the trick-taking mechanism works so well in this in this um in this instance is that the what you're doing is so overt and clear 
to the rest of the table, that the decisions you're making are always really interesting. And this is for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you win a trick, you get to take a certain action, which is at the top of the card. And that action will give you certain things like you may get points, you might be able to move up on certain tracks, you might get a bit of money. At the bottom of the card, there's two secondary actions, which you'll get to choose from if you lose the trick. And those secondary actions tend to be better than the primary action because it's assumed where you've won the trick, so therefore you've got a region, so your bonus isn't as good as everyone else's. So when you're playing a card down, you can be playing it to actively lose because you want to do what is on the secondary um, action of the card. But the player next to you could make you win. So therefore you can't do what you wanted to do. Also, the player next to you, say you're playing a, a three-player game, essentially can be in a situation where they've seen all the cards that will be played and can just pick and choose who's going to win, who's going to lose, and what they're going to do. Which, after we got into like the second and third round of this game, I was just mesmerised by. Because Chris led the trick for every single turn of that round. And only when certain things occur does the person who lead the trick changes. And for one round, I was a person who was leading the tricks, who was putting the first card down. And I thought, this is going to be this is going to be easy. Like, Chris has had the easy job for all the game. But no, Chris has got the hardest job because... As in life. The game is... Yeah, <laughs> but Chris has got the hardest job because he's got a balance in his mind what he wants to do without any knowledge of what everyone else is going to be is going to be doing mm. so even though you get to you have the luxury of being able to pick and choose around the board everywhere that's going to be conquered and you have a certain element of an advantage of well i really want this so i'm going to go for it first and put down a really high card you're at the mercy of everyone else around the table in terms of they can then, based off your first card, really just sit back and just try and, you know, assess exactly what they want to do and they have the freedom to really pick and choose what they're going to... So so the, so the really the advantage is never with the first player, which is kind of what I thought would be the case. So it was, it, as I said, it was mesmerising. It was just, you know, something that I just didn't expect from 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 a game like this and something i didn't expect from trick taking either as well and what i like about this also is it's wheels within wheels so yes. in addition to that element what stops you feeling really pressured and irritated like i often find myself with trick taking games who i'm not a master at them by any stretch of the imagination is that the, the suit of the, the color or the suit i should say of the card you play denotes what kind of track you're kind of looking to move up on yeah so, for example, yellow, yellow cards speak to marriage. So for quite a while, uh, me, uh, you, Sam, and our friend Matt were competing for the affections of Connell, for example, who sat staring yes. into the fire. Oh, lovely, lovely calm. Oh, and I even did, in that little mini yeah. game, there's a little bit of an interesting game going on there, isn't there? And that's just with the marriage. Um, or you mm -hmm. can kind of think, actually, I'm going to try and, oh, I can see some Vikings on the horizon. I'm going to kind of chip away at their forces there for example so you always kind of win you're always getting something nobody ever really yeah. loses in Brian Burrow um, 
So it's a really interesting sensation when you get to the end. You don't lose. It's just you weren't as much as a winner as the other person around the table. And and there there are elements, you know, with that that really, again, it's the game really works exceptionally hard to make sure that everyone feels like they have a stake in the game. So if you get to the top of the marriage track or you've got the most religious points and you're like really up there with the with the priests or whatever, everything you've put into that basically gets returned to you and you go back to zero on that track or you lose all the influence you had in that particular arena. Everyone else gets to stay where they were, maybe with a small punishment or a small loss somewhere here or there. So it means on the next round they've suddenly got a massive advantage in terms of, yeah, they may not have captured a lot of regions in the previous round, but they're already ahead of you on these really important tracks that can do things like help determine first player and help determine certain advantages when it comes to the later game. And one thing that we did forget to mention, which is another genre of game that this game sort of incredibly managed to like shoehorn into but it doesn't feel cheap is card drafting so the whole game starts with card drafting which when it comes to trick taking is incredibly incredibly you know dangerous it's playing with fire essentially because you know what cards you're passing on to the player next to you you know how powerful or how weak or in certain cases you can almost sort of guess what tracks they are going to be trying to go down yeah there was one round where in, i didn't see in, a single blue card rounds. exactly yeah because me and matt were basically ch- funneling all the we were like well we really need to get up on the, on on this like religion track to to steal first player from chris so we basically just sucked up all the blue cards stopping chris from doing it and i guess this all comes back to like those frustrations around trick taking and where it comes from, you know, having to rely on card counting. But because you're card drafting, you at least know where certain cards have been distributed around the table. So you can kind of start to plot, you know, where certain places players are going to be going and where they're going to be focusing their energies. It's you know, it's wheels within wheels. It's utterly mesmerising. I, I really can't wait. Hopefully you'll be able to hang out with us, Chris, when... Um, Pete comes up because I'd really love to introduce Pete to to this because I think it does an exceptional job of basically keeping lots and lots of wheels up in the air in in you know in terms of board game mechanics, but in terms of also like generally just making sure it all feels you know cohesive and and wonderful to play. That was another episode of Staying In with Sam Turner, Peter Willington, Danny Dan Danfrost and myself, Chris Darby. I just want to begin by apologising for the quality of my recording there. Um, I promise that in the next episode I will not be recording in a submarine or wherever it was it seemed to be that I was recording from. Uh, That was quite a bumper episode. We covered quite a lot of ground there, really. And if you're struggling to keep track of everything we spoke about... Um, Peter has very kindly put in little time codes in the podcast so you can kind of jump back and forth between different talking points um, to find the ones that you have want to go back to, essentially. Um, if you want to reach out to us at all, you can email, email us at stayinginpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media. 
at staying in pod is the handle which will allow you to contact us via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all manner of other social media outputs. Um, I'm feeling quite good about my New Year's resolution. I know Pete's made headway with his, as has Sam. Uh, Dan and I are quietly confident, like the tortoise and versus the hare, uh, that we'll be able to get ours done by the end of 2022. It's still early days yet. Still got uh, quite a long period of time left uh, to finish our New Year's resolutions. Okay, well, that's it from me. See you in two weeks. Take care. Bye.